It's episode 48 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. Today on the show is preeminent and prolific Apple pundit, Jason Snell. We're going to discuss new features coming to iOS 12 that aim to incorporate a healthier approach to how we use technology, which Apple has added in response to the backlash against Silicon Valley's engagement at all costs design choices. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Oh, I really appreciate you being on here considering uh, the, what is it, 278 other podcasts that you uh, are a part that's of. That's about right. I think that's... <laughs> but, but who's counting? Yeah, but who's counting? Um, but you just had a vacation, I understand, because I saw you while you were on vacation. Yes, I, uh, I well, uh, our friend Mike Hurley got married in London, and so, um, and I've got a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old, and we decided that this we were never going to get a better opportunity to do the family European vacation yeah. thing that we've always thought we would do at some point. And, uh, and so we took two weeks and ended up in London for Mike's wedding at the very end of it. And uh, yeah, that was pretty great. What did the family think of this fine city? Um, well, it was too hot, but it isn't oh usually, I, I kept, I kept having to explain, it's not usually like this. It's usually cold and rainy, but, uh, it was very hot. And of course, London is not a city like, actually like where we live. Cause we live in the North Bay in the Bay area. And, and, and these are places that can get hot, but have no infrastructure built to cool anything because it would sort of be a waste Right. Um, I thought about getting an air conditioner in my house and I realized I would use it like six days a year and it would cost how many thousands of dollars. And it was like, there's no point. Right. We'll just suffer for those. And, and the, the week we were in London was like that. It was just hot and our, uh, you know, the, our bus rides were hot and our, our rides in the tube were hot and it was just hot. But I think they liked it. Um, I think my daughter really liked it. My son, he's 13. He's less receptive to everything, but I think they liked it. <laughs> I think, I think, I think they enjoyed the, the uh, they will remember the very a couple of very hot crowded bus rides we took yeah. uh, in London. Um, but you know, the bus was the best way to get from point A to point B. But they'll remember that it was sort of rush hour and completely pressed in with people and very hot. And uh, that'll just be that's fine. That'll be a good memory for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me taking my kids home from school every day. That's <laughs> that's they're going to have these memories. They're going to work it out in therapy, I'm sure, later when they grow up. Yeah, my my context in in London bus rides is that I, I often stay with a friend when I go to London, and and we rode the bus with his daughter to take her to school, and I had that thought of like, oh. This is this is how it gets done in London now. So then I took my kids on the bus and it was like a baking hot horror show a little bit, but you know it's a it's a memory for the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. It was. Um, I found the wedding uh, not I'm obviously like it was just beautiful and touching experience, and they did a they, they had very good taste, and it was all really really nice. But what a surreal experience of uh, because basically half of the uh, of the aud- of the attendees were podcasters. That yeah. I had not met in person, but uh, felt like I had knew about, and I don't know. It was just the weirdest experience to hear these voices around me and going like, "I I recognize you somehow." It was it was really cool. Yeah, I don't think our brains are uh, evolved for this sort of you know mass media anything. I think you know we're we're we we've got you know, uh, the ability to catalog a small group of people who yeah. we consider in our kind of community or in our circle. Yeah. And then you have somebody whose voice you listen to every week for a year or two or five. And I think our brains just do naturally. They're like, okay, they're, they're a member of our community. And it is funny because then 
you meet them and you feel like you know so much about them, and you probably do, but it, it is asymmetrical, right? right. Because they, they don't necessarily know anything about you because they haven't been listening to you for five years. You've been listening to them. Yeah, I know. No, I, you know, sitting next to somebody, I'm like, so how is WWDC? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you know about yeah, my travel schedule? That's super weird. I, I went to Comic-Con one year and I was walking through a lobby and I saw somebody and I, I had this moment of just why is this person I know here in San Diego this week? And I just thought it was like a mom from my kid's school for like a good 10 seconds before I realized it was an actress on a TV show that I watched. <laughs> and she was there for Comic-Con. And, and, but my brain didn't say, oh my God, it's a famous person. My brain sa- said, oh, there's somebody you know. Yeah. Who is it? Yeah, this and is that, part of my tribe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, that's not how it works, silly brain. But <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, that's weird stuff. Um, but it is, I think, a bit of a testament. You mentioned uh, that it was Mike Hurley, and uh, he is the one of the co-founders of the Relay FM network that we all have podcasts on. Uh, a testament to the sort of not just a business he's building, but a community they've sort of set up, and it really kind of feels like that. Uh, it's really interesting what the, what he and Stephen Hackett are kind of nurturing. Yeah, it was a nice nice group and it did definitely feel like these are these are all really great people who I sort of work with. Um, you know, some of them directly and some of them indirectly, but definitely a great a great crowd and and uh uh it felt uh, we do this all remotely and so to have that be a gathering of people who are all, you know, part of the same thing but aren't usually anywhere near each other. It was a special moment. Yeah, for sure. And a and a call to action to everybody listening out there to listen to more Relay FM shows because they're all yeah. they're all outstanding uh and we will plug some more at the end of the podcast how's that sound um but what i wanted to talk to you about is a little bit we talk we we, we dip in from time to time to talk about tools uh for designers and um uh and developers and, and things like that on this podcast uh and there's been some news from apple there was in fact wwdc their annual developer conference where they announce a bunch of stuff uh, and there's a couple of things I wanted to drill in on, uh, but outside, actually outside of WWDC, uh, they released some new machines just a few days ago, didn't they? Yeah, the new MacBook Pro models where they basically, 15 months, I think, after the last update, they came out with a, a new set with, uh, it's got new, you know, it's got the faster processors and all that. They didn't change the the body any. Apparently, they've added something under the keyboard that should make them more reliable and less impervious to dust. But um, they had a true tone sensor, which is, I think, for designers is yeah. kind of interesting because I had that moment where I like, I like the true tone sensor on my iPad and my iPhone. The idea there that um, the color temperature, it's picking up the ambient color temperature in the room and using that to adjust the white balance. I'm going to use all these designery words because I think your audience understands all of that. Well done. Which is great. <laughs> it's great so that if you're sitting there in, a, in a, a really yellow light at the end of the day, your screen will, the white on your screen is the same white that your eyes are calibrated for, which is awesome. Although on a, on a pro laptop i had that moment where i thought well this is great but wouldn't most of the pro design people who use this just turn it off i mean you can turn it off it's just like it's one of those things that a lot of people really care about color and and color fidelity and and having a consistent white point and yeah uh, but it is a fun feature it's a fun feature uh for when you don't need a consistent white point yeah it is it is remarkable uh how effective it is uh and how you can only really tell when you turn it off and then how jarring things yeah. like, oh my God, this thing is yeah, bright blue. So, What's going on? It's yeah. so blue, right? Yeah. Right. Because most of our interior light is is warm. 
and uh, and that's what it's essentially doing is it's 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 warming up that white point, and uh, it feels very natural. I really like that feature a lot. It's just that, uh, and you can't. What I'm saying is, it's a nice feature, and you can turn it off. So if you want right. to have that exactly calibrated like color, that's sense, true. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you don't have to have it. That that actually hadn't occurred to me in the announcement, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, great! Like I think it's a fantastic technology. You should roll out to all of their. Uh, hardware devices but yeah you're right you're sitting in sketch or photoshop and you really exactly. need to match i, I mean we, t- we tend to do that a bit more sort of mathematically right like you know looking at actual rgb or hsv values or whatever mm-hmm. and, and matching up the but yeah that that sense of like wait a minute this doesn't look right oh right apple is <laughs> adjusting my color for me <laughs> yeah that's good that's gonna be that's gonna come up yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I don't even want to talk about the keyboard because I have a MacBook Pro and it has worked flawlessly. And I'm afraid if I do start talking about it, it won't. <laughs> so yeah, don't anger it. <laughs> so, uh, but they did some changes there. Uh, what they said, they sort of dampened it, right? Made it a little softer. Yeah, I, I have a, a bunch of mechanical keyboards, and one of the things I discovered when I started using mechanical keyboards is that one of the tricks of the trade is that they you can put like little rubber bands. They're almost like orthodontists' <laughs> rubber bands oh, under yeah. these little rings um, underneath each key, and it it changes the feel and it changes the sound. And so some people like them without, or there are two, there are a few different kinds that you can put on. They're kind of color coded. And that was what I thought when, when I saw that they did this kind of silicone layer underneath the keys of the new MacBook mm. pros is that it's, it's kind of like that, except you don't get a choice. It's just, that's how it comes now, but it has, it seems to have the dual, uh, role of dampening the sound a little bit. Cause it was pretty crunchy, pretty loud before. And also, in theory, it's um, it's isolating some of the moving parts from getting infiltrated by dust or crumbs or things like that, which seems to have caused some people some trouble. So much of the problem, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do you uh, you have the mechanical keyboards? You said do you do you like the loud clacky ones or do you dampen them down? I I do. I I'm not sure I've come come far enough to have a real opinion about. Um, about the little uh, dampeners. I have a keyboard that has them installed. And then the one that I'm using right now that I got a few weeks ago doesn't. And I haven't decided if I like it or not. I'm trying it this way and I may actually put the the little dampeners on it too and see if I prefer it that way. Yeah. I, I do like... I do like having that tactile feedback. Yeah. I, I that's one of the things I really like about these mechanical keyboards and why I use them is they got a lot of key travel. They make a noise when I get going, you know. And I'm a pretty fast typist, so when yeah. I really kind of start cranking up the speed, it 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 is. Uh, I can feel it. I can hear it. Um, and it and it is both of those things. I think that's one of the challenges with something like um, like Apple's keyboard, where they they made them they made them louder. They made them crunchy. Um, but if you put in headphones and couldn't hear it, it was lost on you, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was not a, it, it was, the noise was trying to kind of override your sense that they don't move very much. But if you can't hear the noise, that illusion is broken a little bit. And with the, with the, the mechanical keyboards, you just get a lot of, it's just, there's a lot going on there, but I yeah. like it. And I work in uh, an isolated room. It's just me. And so I don't have anybody to bother with my keyboard noises. I can just revel in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Open offices today with the uh, with the tech companies. Yeah, Everybody so clacking good. away might not be. Not, I tell not you what, so I, I started my career in the newsroom, a journalist when I was still in college. I was uh, I, I worked part time in a old school newsroom, and we didn't have typewriters, but we were on terminals, 
and sure. uh, you know VT one hundred or VT one hundred one terminals or something like that. Um, and a lot of my job, ironically or coincidentally, I should say, uh, was like typing in SGML formatting codes around mm-hmm. news articles and stuff like that. So HTML was nothing for me. But the the point of all of that was um, that it was loud. It was just everybody slamming away on that. The other thing that I remember from that is everybody sitting at their keyboard with a cigarette in their mouth, which I can't even imagine. Like our society has changed so much, but literally everybody smoking at their desk and big ashtrays and all of that. Like, holy cow, try to explain that to my kids. And they just think I'm from like, you know, the 19th century. Prehistory. I, I just missed that. The, the first internship I had in college was at a TV station and that was the only place I ever worked where people were smoking inside. But even there, they had a break room and with, with, you know, sort of separate ventilation, but it, but the doors were open. And so people would go in there and smoke, but they wouldn't be at their desks. And that was not great. I gotta <laughs> say that was a pretty unpleasant environment, but um, that's, that's the only one of those I ever got. So yeah, I look at the movie, look at a movie like uh, all the president's men or yeah. Zodiac yeah. where it's like classic 20th century journalism with, with oftentimes type typewriters or with clacky keyboards. And, and it's, uh, it, it's quite, <laughs> it's not quite, you know, I my my college newspaper had Max, so I I was doing full on. We were I learned PageMaker in order to do my job as the edit, as an editor at that paper. Yeah. So it was, and that's actually how I became a Mac user was was doing that. So I was I was as far removed as possible from yeah. the classic newsroom, alas, but maybe all for the better. <laughs> yeah, right. You're, the second hat smoke was outrageous, but mm. uh, anyway, um, I do want to talk about some of the news coming out of WWDC. But before we do that, I want to welcome a new sponsor to Presentable, and I'm thrilled about this because this is one of those great occasions when it's a company that a service that I've been using for years, uh, and now they've joined, uh, and that's Linode. So uh, Linode uh, gives you access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting as little as five dollars a month, and this means that you can sign up for one of their servers in the cloud. Uh, and you can SSH to it, and you have a full Linux server that you can do. In fact, they have all sorts of different uh, distributions that you can put on it that you can kind of do anything with. And this is something that I've always wanted to have. I always have as a hobbyist kind of in the background to play around with new web technologies or to figure out like what are Node apps or all that kind of stuff. I always like to have someplace where I can just go log in. That's frankly not my laptop that I need to do real work in uh, and do that kind of stuff. Um, and Linode has been the one that I've been using for a long time. I think they're fantastic. They have industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, 40-gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. They now have 10 data centers. I've, my stuff is all hosted right here in London. It's super blindingly fast for me. These data sp- centers are spread all over the world, meaning you can serve your customers even quicker than before. They have an API that allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. And everything is managed by a really intuitive sort of command line and console. Uh, all of their pricing features hourly billing with no monthly cap on, uh, on all their plans and all their add-on services like backups and node balancers and things like that. Uh, they are great for hosting large databases, running mail servers, operating VPNs. And uh, you should note they are in many countries. I won't be a judge of what you do with that, but that's also very valuable. Uh, and running Docker containers, which is what I do now. I have... Uh, a Linode server set up with a Docker container running a Minecraft server for 
the kids, uh, and you know me once in a while. Uh, there's so much more you can do. Uh, and in fact, they are hiring right now. So if all of this sounds super interesting to you, go to lino.com careers and uh, maybe you can join them. Uh, anyway, the fantastic pricing uh, starts with a one gigabyte of RAM server for only $5 a month, which is nothing. Uh, but they have high memory plans as well. Those start with 16 gigs of RAM and go up from there. And as a listener to the show, you can sign up to linode.com slash presentable. That's L-I-N-O-D-E, linode.com slash presentable. And you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll get $20 of credit towards one of their plans on one of those uh, $5 a month plans. That's four free months and a seven-day money-back guarantee. If it's not for you, get all your money back. Nothing to lose. So go to linode.com presentable to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or use promo code presentable2018 at checkout. Thanks so much to Linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Yeah, so uh, Jason, let's talk about WWDC uh, and iOS 12. I have not installed any of the betas, but um, clearly you've been all through it because you've been writing about it. Yep, I've got them. I, I actually refrained. I had them on some other devices until I got back from my two weeks in Europe because that was where I drew the line. It's like <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, running yeah. beta operating systems when I'm in Europe. That, that's not going to happen. But I have now that now my iPad and my iPhone are both running it too. Yeah. Well, and uh, just what's what are the betas like day to day? We're going to post this in the next couple of days. You think it's safe? yeah? No, I think that I think they're solid. I think that um, uh, you know this seems to be the consensus, and I've certainly found that that there, you know there are quirks, but there are quirks in the shipping versions of iOS 11 <laughs> yeah, now too. True. I don't consider it particularly worse. I have not had any big app compatibilities. I really haven't had any issues. So um, not not everything works quite right. Um, because it is a beta, occasionally one of the new features will just sort of like stop working, and you're like, "All right," but I, but I'm able to do everything that I do with my iPhone and my iPad with the betas, so they're not they're not as scary. Um, I th- feel like uh, maybe this has been a good cycle. I mean, you still should be careful and be, you know be aware you might need to revert and make a backup on all of those usual caveats. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, I think I think they're pretty uh, they're pretty solid. They're doing. Uh, my understanding is Apple is getting into almost a kind of an every other year cycle where there's like not, I wouldn't call it maintenance release, but like a performance and, and like stability release one year. And then the next year they go for a lot of features. Is that kind of what's, what's been happening? I don't know. I mean, they, they, it seems like they want you to think that I'm not entirely sure that it's that versus that they're trying to be a little more measured in what they ship when that if they've got a big chunk of features that they're trying to get in one year and, um, in previous eras, they might have said, yes, let's ship it, and it would be kind of buggy, and it would be six months to to debug it and get it to work right. That now they're being a little more aggressive of just saying, we're not going to ship that, and let it, let it wait until next year. Yeah, um, They're also in an era right now, for a lot of reasons, um, that is, they're sort of like refining some of the stuff that's under the surface because they're in this process of bringing iOS apps over to the Mac. Yeah, that was the and big news, of, yeah. Yeah, it was huge news. And one of the things that didn't get us report, reported as widely is that is that even though we think of iOS stuff as being, you know, based on the Mac, based on Mac OS X back in the day when the iPhone was announced, they made a big deal about that, that, you know, it, they have drifted apart since then. And one of the things that they're doing this year, and I think next year, and probably for, it might even take them longer than that, is they're trying to get that stuff that's under the surface 
like right now, there, there are two things that are similar and they're based on the Mac and on iOS and they're based on the same thing back in 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. but they've drifted apart. And a lot of the work they're doing is getting those things back together as like one thing. So like you've got this thing, it's not quite the same on the Mac and that makes it very hard for you to bring an iOS app over because suddenly that thing doesn't work the same way. So I think, I think a lot of what Apple is doing with their operating systems this year is this under the surface stuff that should have some positive impacts. Like um, theoretically older iOS devices will actually run faster on iOS 12 and not slower. That's what they're actually, they say they're shooting for, which is a good thing to do. But I think that that's part of this larger kind of like looking under the surface and trying to get everything kind of back in alignment and modern and not, you know, what they've been doing the last few years, which is making changes just because they need to throw in this new feature and not minding if everything kind of drifts a little bit. I am also particularly interested in this, um, in these iOS apps, these kind of iPad apps coming over to the Mac and how that's going to start to change the way we imagine the interfaces because the, the shift over to touch was rethinking a whole bunch of stuff, especially for web designers. I think there's, you know, native controls are one thing, but but you know, the, some of the some of the techniques we used in web design, like hover effects, which you know you can't hover your finger finger over a button, and all of that went away, and we had to start to rethink yeah. all of that. And and now having apps that share these different and and kind of radically different platforms, maybe some of the stuff that web designers have had to internalize will now make it out to, to now iOS and Mac developers of like, Oh, you can't take a lot of this stuff for granted anymore. Yeah. I think, I think it's um, an era and, and iOS developers have had to deal with this a little bit in terms of like iPad or iPhone or, or there's the different sized iPads, flexible sized iPhones, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now we're at the point where I think y- starting next year, you may actually want to start thinking about designing for Apple platforms as being a single, just a continuum that you have to be responsive along a whole continuum and web designers will, you know, that already, you're already there, right? (laughs) Um, Probably. But the idea that essentially the same code could run um, on on an iPhone SE and a uh, 27-inch iMac Pro. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. The same app, right. the same, literally the same code and the same app. And what happens there, and, and, and this may ha- have something to do with where Apple is going. Apple may be, these platforms are unifying in a bunch of ways. Even if the Mac stays the Mac and iOS stays iOS, the, a lot of the, the unification is still happening. And, and so, you know, as that, as that window gets bigger, as that screen gets bigger, you know, obviously when you go from iPhone to iPad, you get, you, you can have like controls that are on there instead of having it be a bunch of different pages. And then clearly, you know, when you go over to the Mac, now you're in a laptop or a desktop, then you get a menu bar. Um, but you can have keyboard shortcuts on iPad as right. well as on the Mac. So that, that you can still build in there. Um, but when you get the menu bar, you've got multiple windows on iPad, they probably are going to do something like that mm. with tabs or something like that. And and on the Mac, of course, you've got free floating windows. So like that's just going to be part of the design challenge is is thinking about what the breakpoints are, what the device types are, and what happens when you when you scale. Because obviously, if you've got a 27-inch monitor, you are not going to want to just have it be what you know an iphone <laughs> like it right. doesn't work doesn't work right 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 i kind of have the impression that apple has been working on this for years and kind of will spend at least another year getting a lot of this stuff right which is sort of like in contrast to what um windows and surface 
devices have done with touch, which is like, well, we'll just ship it and see. And the first few versions were just nearly unusable. You know, that switching, trying to, trying to touch the screen on a laptop and things like that. So Apple's approach, I think, a little more measured. Yeah. Also, um, Microsoft has the luxury. <laughs> I mean, if you can call it that, but it, it's, it's mobile uh, platform failed, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but that gives them a luxury. The, this is that innovator's dilemma sort of thing. They have the luxury of experimenting with touch and with tablets that can go back to being a Windows PC when you're done with them and not have the tablet central tablet touch experience be what the product is for. Right. Because it's a PC that can also do touch and can also be converted and all of those things. Whereas with Apple, like the iPhone and the iPad, that's what it is. They They, they can't... They can't just experiment in public with a hybrid Mac yeah. iPad thing, right? They because they've got Macs and they've got iPads and they're they're both successful products. So um, that gives. Uh, I mean, I think this is the way Apple sort of has has to do it because they've got viable products and they've got this conundrum that they're not kind of connected. Um, and I think that is a great advantage that Microsoft has. Um, the disadvantage Microsoft has is that nobody is using a Windows PC as a as a standalone tablet, not really. They're using them as PCs. Yeah, yeah right, exactly right, right. right. And that and that is that is a, a disadvantage in the market that that they're working against. That Apple Apple has with the iPad. It's kind of the only tablet that is successful. But how do you you know how do you extend that? It's a, it's a real challenge for both companies. It's fascinating to watch because they both start from different places, trying to get to the same end. And you can see the decisions they're making. And we're starting to see that from Apple. We've been seeing it from Microsoft for a while. So yeah. uh, I think it's all to play for. Honestly, I mean, I think that Microsoft doing this out in the open ha- has gotten them some momentum, which is really interesting uh-huh. to build something that is an old PC and touch kind of working together. Whereas Apple is doing it differently and um and who knows where they'll end up yeah yeah for sure for sure well it's interesting to watch i love uh, love watching this stuff and seeing the progress that they're all making um the other thing i wanted to talk about was their announcement of screen time uh and there's a couple other features as well i think that went around that uh, more to do with parental controls as, as well but this is the the notion of uh Having the the device kind of keep track of what you've been doing, you can set limits for yourself and and things like this. I find this absolutely fascinating. It was, gosh, it was over a year ago now that we had uh, Tristan Harris on the program here to talk about design ethics. Uh, he and I had worked together back at Google. By, ah, gosh, it's almost 10 years ago now. Uh, and he became this sort of internal evangelist for this notion of time well spent. Uh, and when we were talking on the podcast last year, he had just left Google and was kind of going off on his own as being kind of pundit and uh, author and, and things like this around this movement of like, can we design uh, the products that we use in technology every day to have more compassion for the, the people that are using them, right? As opposed to this engagement, 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 like click, click, mm. click, keep using, keep using, keep using. Uh, and it was so interesting to see then again this year, uh, was May or it was April of this year when Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he got pulled in front of the Senate in these hearings. Uh, and that had to do with a lot of stuff and elections and all of that kind of stuff. But them coming out, Facebook coming out with time well spent, literally co-opting the phrase and saying like, we want to make sure the time you're spending on Facebook is valuable and productive, um, and, uh, you know, not misleading and all that sort of stuff. And I think it shook all of the tech industry to see Mark sitting there with all those cameras and all those senators um, because now Microsoft and Google and all of the tech companies are sort of like, yeah, well, we, we want the same thing. 
Uh, and it's been interesting to see Apple's approach because uh, they have been leading with privacy from the very beginning. They've not been selling data. They've not been leaking out what you're doing in order to get you to do it more. Uh, they just, you know, they send you, they sell you a thousand dollar phone every year and they're pretty happy with that. Right. So, uh, they've taken a different approach to say like, well, how can we put you more in charge of that device that we're selling you? A lot of smartphone design was about, you know, look, all these things we, you can do, look how useful we want to be as useful as possible. We want to make you want to use it. And you know, we left, we've left the era where people need to be convinced that having a supercomputer in their pocket with always on internet is a good idea. Like, <laughs> okay, sold, product sold. Um, and it is, you know, becoming, has become readily apparent that there are lots of ramifications to this. And, you know, people who build technology, they're not always the best at, at nor, nor are they trained to think about the societal ramifications of their technology being widespread. Like that's not their job. And so they don't think about it. And often it's nobody's job at the companies that are doing this. And you come to the the point where somebody says, you know, having these always on devices is great, but it is creating all sorts of distractions and it's upsetting how elections work, but it's also upsetting how like families interact and, uh, and you know, with with kids with these devices, there's that issue, but it's also our personal issues. Like, are we checking our phones too much? Are we addicted to them in some way? Do we get, you know, are we spending too much time on social media? Do we not realize how much time we're spending? So right. um, Google and Apple have both this year announced these features that are basically trying to find ways to um, reduce distraction. I think, um, you know, the screen time stuff that Apple is doing, part of it is all is time-based. Part of it is, like the name says, screen time. It's how how often do you pick up your phone? What apps are you using? It lets you set a reminder essentially that says you you said you only wanted to use Twitter for an hour a day, um, and you just hit that. And so maybe you yeah. want to stop, and you can say no, I I really want to keep going. But the idea is there, it's going to prod you, and and so that's that's a part of this, and that extends to. Uh, to what you know, what happens with kids, and the idea that you can actually set hard limits with kids about it. But screen time, you know, screen time is uh, a bigger story. Of like, uh, they've also built in a bunch of uh, of distraction abatement tools, almost right. Where, where, where that, that's not about screen time, but mm. it is about your device vibrating or flashing and saying, "Pay attention to me. Pick me up. Pick me up. Pick me up." And giving you tools to suppress that, whether you're in a meeting or whether it's the evening and you don't want to be disturbed or whether you get push notifications from an app and you don't know how to turn it off because you don't want to see them anymore. And they've added a whole bunch of stuff on that front too that I think may actually have a bigger impact on how people use their devices than the time tracking stuff. I think the time tracking stuff is is good and setting, I I think you have to want to change. Um, It's a little bit like calorie counting. If you want to lose weight, I think they use that as an example, but it's Mm. true. Like just counting the calories, you can still eat whatever you want, but it's giving you a perspective on your usage and making you think, well, maybe I should modify my behavior. But the notification stuff, like that, that is even more the phone makers saying and Apple saying, um, 
we want you to have the power to not be bothered by this device that you bought from us. And I think that's really interesting. The idea that the, I always called it the unsubscribe link for app notifications where like I get an app and it starts just pushing these notifications at me. And I'm like, I just don't want to see it anymore. And you have to go to settings. Is it in the app? Is it in the settings app? Where does it go? And in iOS 12, you can actually swipe and tap and there's basically a turn off and it's literally an unsubscribe link for that app notifications and that's i think that's huge and there's also an interim step where you basically say you can put these in my little notification center list but i don't want you to interrupt me to tell me about them and i think that's going to be big for people because that's giving you very actionable in the moment control over is this bugging you and if it's bugging you you can say never do this again which currently is hard much harder to do oh yeah that's very very varied um that yeah when i when i saw that feature announced um and having this perspective of being been involved in many teams that are growing products, that was my, my first thought was like, oh my God, marketing's going to hate this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, but what it, what it should do is create, uh, hopefully, some sense of a feedback loop of like, wow, like these teams that are building products that uh, have notification ability are going to have to be really respectful of that. Like, oh my God, the button's right there. Like we have to, every, every notification's going to have to have value. Yeah, and and you... One of those, yeah, one of those things about, why don't we just push out an ad here? And it's against the rules, but Apple doesn't seem to care. Right. And now there's going to be that extra prod of, yeah, but if we bug people, they're just going to turn off all our notifications and we don't want to lose that. I had that happen. There is a space too for the app to say, um, you can, here's a quick link to jump into the app settings for notifications and, and, and give more granular control. Cause Mm. I had that happen where I installed last year, I installed the Washington post app and it started pushing me, not just breaking news, stuff but it started pushing me like here's a our new crossword puzzle is out or and stuff like that which is like i don't care and i um i complained about that and I, there's no causality here but uh i did notice that a month later or so they did a, an update where they had granular notifications and you could say breaking news or you know f- interesting features and things like that which i turned off immediately and this this new feature will let you have like a quick link directly to those settings if the app ha- gives you some granularity and i, I think there's going to be that that is once again a motiva- motivation where you know the people managing the app development at whatever company you're at might, might be like, no, 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 we want to use the breaking news channel and then that's how we get them and then we push our marketing to them. Right. And this is this is another tool for people working on the design to push back and say, actually, that's going to just lead to them shutting it off. What about we make them separate options and we, yeah, okay, we'll default to turning them on, but we're going to let that be there so that they can opt out of the marketing stuff and only get the breaking news. Uh, it's just another another tool for anybody who's sort of like trying to watch out for the user. Are there additional features that can be built into the notifications themselves? Uh, you know, because there are some apps where you can reply inside the notification by doing a force press or things like that. So yeah, that's yeah, not that's, not new, but yeah, yeah, you you do have right. the ability to have kind of richer things happen in the notifications, and you can still do that. I mean, th- there's an argument to be made that notifications are the main UI of. <laughs> of devices these days sure. so much of what we do is is on an interrupt basis which is why i think it's important that apple with this design is trying to control how um, notifications um, come to you and what notifications there are because that that's that's one of the big frustrations is is that there's too many notifications sure. and that you feel like you're you're overwhelmed and distracted all the time and like one it's one thing to 
want to pick up your phone because you want to be distracted and you want to do something fun. And that is an issue that needs to be dealt with. But once your, your device is, is basically shouting at you to pick it up, like that, that, that is a whole other category. And that's what notifications are. That's great. That's great. And there's echoes of their um, adding content blockers to uh, Safari back a few years ago too, right? This idea of like, we're going to, since this is not incorporated into our business model, why don't we give people, essentially empower our users to control the experience they're having online? Exactly. Because Apple, Apple, Apple knows you're going to buy, <laughs> turning off some notifications is not going to make you question whether you should have a smartphone or whether you should right. have an iPhone, right? In right. fact, it's a feature now of like, oh good, I can, I, I can make my phone that I'm going to have anyway less annoying thanks to these features. Thanks, Apple. It's going to actually be a benefit to the, the product. And I think that that, you know, that, Apple's confident enough that they can do that and 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 get away with it, which is great. Yeah, that is good. Uh, other features uh, that are coming out that you're particularly fond of? Well, I don't know. Um, that's a yeah. You put me on the spot there. I did. Um, <laughs> the I'm trying to think uh, beyond the kind of humanistic stuff. I guess I guess Siri shortcuts is the one that always comes up right. that that I should mention. And the idea that um, Siri is not just and funny cloud AI that you ask questions and it misunderstands you that they're trying to make this um, infrastructure where apps have definable tasks and then you can tell Siri to do those tasks. You can actually assign a phrase to, and it, and it watches you, you know, your, your, your device knows what you've been doing and there's almost like a browser history where you can go back and say, oh yeah, that one, I want to just assign a shortcut to that where I say something and it just, it, and it calls a person or it looks something up in a particular app or whatever it is. And then on top of that, they've added this app called Shortcuts, which is based on another really great iOS app called Workflow, which they purchased. And Shortcuts, you can stack all of those things together. So you can give a single Siri command that basically will uh, use this app to do this and look this up from over here and fire this off over there and then tell you an answer. And that's pretty cool too. So I, I'm excited about the possibility of that and how Apple's also tried to conceptualize that so it goes from a maybe not the most basic user, but a somewhat advanced user who's comfortable with their iPhone all the way up to somebody who really wants to like go to town. And there, there's, a, there's a kind of a gradient of usability there where you know your average user may not build a whole, download the, the Shortcuts app and build a whole workflow, but they might go into the Siri settings and say, yeah, I want that to be a shortcut. And then apps will be able to show that to users too and say, do you want to make this a shortcut? That's, and yeah. and take functionality out of their apps and basically you just tell Siri, hey, do this thing and it'll launch the app and do the thing. Yeah, and I think that's where it starts to get to a much broader audience where like, hey, you've done this a few times. You know, you want, should we just you know, make this a little shortcut for you? Um, right. I think that I think that really opens things up. That's where you know things like I still use Inbox from Gmail on the iOS app for my email uh, for mm -hmm. s some kinds of email, um, and uh, I, and I believe they've incorporated this into the broader Gmail release too. But this idea of just these uh, ever increasingly better uh, canned responses—I can hit a button and it just like says, "Sure, thanks, that sounds good," you know, that right. sort of thing. And and noticing over a year's time or a year and a half time that. It's starting to sound more like me, and it's using less exclamation points, like I, you know, and, and things like that. It's like, I, oh, it's it's listening and responding, and I think this is 
this could be an amazing opportunity for that kind of stuff. And when you say like notifications could kind of be the main way of interacting, I think these two things together, very, very simple shortcuts of things you do all the time, plus notifications back, like, you know, we could have headless apps. Yeah. Yeah. That's in fact, one of the nice things about the Siri shortcuts is you can set certain things that unless there's an interaction required, in which case it opens the the shortcuts app, mm-hmm. it just happens in Siri. Like you don't see anything. You you just say, do this thing. And, and it's using the system and apps, but you don't see it. You just don't see it. Right. You just see that the task is completed. And that is that has a lot of potential. It's early days. They're going to get a lot better at it. But and it's it shows you some of the intelligence in how Apple designed some of its software. That um, there are existing um, technologies that let app developers sort of specify. Um, mostly, I think it comes out of the share the share sheet and being able to share uh, certain kind of tasks across different apps. But they basically built this whole infrastructure where apps could identify the tasks that they perform on an ongoing basis and, and pick up this functionality. Um, and in iOS 12, all of those things that were already there are just immediately swept into Siri shortcuts. So you don't have, it's not as if like all the app developers have to update their apps in order to get, they can, they can do more and they will do more, but like Apple already laid the groundwork. They're using an existing set of, of technologies that app developers are already using. And they're using that as the basis. And, um, I just think that that's really cool that that your phone um, can now or or with iOS 12 will be able to observe your behavior not just in the system but in individual apps mm-hmm. and say, hey, you seem to do this all the time. Maybe this should be a shortcut. And it's and it's call like in theory on Sunday evening, my iPad should will basically pop up and say, you usually Facetime with your mom right now. Mm. And because uh, because I do, and it should be able to analyze that and um and say let's make that a shortcut or just tap here and I'll and I'll call her. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, that's really interesting. I yeah, and connected with um, HomeKit devices, I think we're really onto something then as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, there's a lot of ground for them to cover. You know, and I can kind of if you in a, a squint out at the horizon to a maybe not too distant future where they're really starting to set up an environment like this uh, where you can you can imagine airpods plus a watch on your wrist and maybe some kind of visuals through glasses that is a whole different sort of computing environment that that works with a you know the phone that never leaves your pocket or, or your hand yeah i think one of the, one of the one of the challenges that apple always has seen in building technology and this goes back to the 70s honestly and certainly the early 80s is um our standards in terms of like the computer industry and the technology industry, our standards for imparting like how you use this stuff to regular people who are not experts have always been really low. Like, mm, yep. you know, you just throw a, out a personal computer at somebody and say, good luck. Like it's not easy to use. That was the whole, you know, the Apple II was a reaction to the kit computers. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the original Mac was a reaction to early personal computers where they, you know, having a graphical interface instead of a command line was a huge leap forward. The iPhone is another example of that. Apple has always been uh, a company whose identity involves kind of like pushing at this stuff of like, how do we make this so that the power that's in this technology can be harnessed by a person who is not going to be super technical? And when I think about what you just said about, you know, a watch, uh, a set of headphones, 
um, maybe some glasses or something like that, but maybe not even that. Hmm. Yeah. And and you think about something like the shortcut stuff. What you know, I I am an Apple Script automator person on the Mac from way back. That's great stuff. But it, you know, automation of technology has been a nerdy thing. It's been you know, how do you boil that down to something that is uh, that is something that that though is for the rest of us and some combination of uh, being able to uh, atomize all of the different tasks you perform in your favorite apps and throw some machine learning on that where it starts to get the sense of what your tasks are and then proactively says, it seems like you always do these five things in a row. How about we make that a shortcut and I'll do it for you? Like yeah. the dream is that your assistant, Siri on the case of Apple, is going to say, I noticed you do a repetitive task. I figured out what it is. Let me automate it for you. And I, they are not there yet. They, there's a lot of ground to cover still. But I do see like they're creeping toward that dream of being able to do something that used to require a computer and then required a smartphone. And now you could literally be walking somewhere and say something to a microphone that's listening on your wrist or in your ears and have it literally do that thing that you used to do for an hour at a computer. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh my gosh, the the implication, the the opportunities for app developers, I think, are going to be fantastic. I mean, I just, I think so. I just had uh, a business lunch today, and I had to file the expense. Like Siri should totally be able to do that for me. You right. know, you're at a restaurant, you used Apple Pay, you do this a lot. After that, you go to Expensify or whatever you use. Um, hey, let me just make this is an expense, right? Yes, done. Like that kind of stuff, and on and on and on. Um, this is going to be great. Ah, oh, the future. Jason, it's always just a pleasure to uh, hear what you're thinking about with what's going on with Apple. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. People can find out all sorts at your website, sixcolors.com. Yep. Um, you are Jay Snell uh, on Twitter. They'll follow you there. Uh, and tell me a little bit about the Incomparable Network. That's a thing you've been doing for a while, and you've got a ton of podcasts over there. Yeah, so I, I, my podcasts are on a couple different networks. On Relay FM. I've got Upgrade and Download and Liftoff. Um, and over at The Incomparable, it was originally one podcast, and then I sort of turned it into a network, and people I know do other things. It's mostly like pop culture and entertainment and other things like that, things people are enthusiastic about that's not really about technology. It's about movies and TV shows and books and things like that. And the main show is The Incomparable. There are a whole bunch of others um, that are really fun. Um, Robot or Not, where John Syracuse and I um, basically talk about what words mean and don't mean it's very <laughs> and it's very short and it's kind of funny um uh, there's a dungeons and dragons podcast where we, yes. we just play play games every week it's it, there's a game show where we play other silly games every week that's actually one of my favorite things that we do um so yeah if people are interested in that sort of thing the incomparable.com and then for my tech stuff obviously just like you it's uh really fm yeah that's right you even do a little old-timey radio drama uh, from time to time yeah, don't you? yeah the incomparable radio theater there have been a couple seasons of that and there's a there's a guy who um is a playwright and he's out in Indiana and he does, you know, he does do theater stuff. But one of the great things about podcasting and the internet is that it's allowed him to write and produce and, and reach an audience yeah. with podcasting. And so that's a, you know, acted out and it started, it was sort of like all the people from our podcast were the actors, but this last season, what he's done is he knows so many people in theater that uh, the last few episodes, you know, he's getting legitimate theater uh, actors, uh, he's going to New York and recording them around a table 
And uh, those are episodes of the radio theater too. So it's taking it to a, another level there. And that's one of the fun things about how flexible podcasting is that you can have a silly two minute long podcast about whether something's a robot or not, or you can have like a full cast uh uh, theater pr- production and uh, they're both podcasts that's great that's why you don't have to ask permission to make things on the internet that's what i love exactly jason thanks so much thank you and that's another episode of presentable hey got any questions you can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via twitter by following presentable fm we hope you've really enjoyed the show and if you do could you take a moment and give us a rating on itunes it really helps and we'd really appreciate it Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen, and this was Presentable.